For you, the listeners of Freelancer Show, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Hello and welcome to The Freelancer Show. Aging as a freelancer is what we're going to talk about today. I'm Jonathan Stark and today I am joined by panelist Philip Morgan. Hello. Just us today. Just Pirate us. Radio. <laughs> I think we can do it though. I suggested the topic, so maybe maybe I can kind of set it up and then we'll just see where it takes us. Yes. Since we're both aged. <laughs> That's right. I'm forty three years old and I have been working for myself since two thousand nine. So I like I've I've I, I guess I've seen maybe two sides of the same coin. One is working for yourself when you have what feels like a lot of energy, <laughs> boundless energy maybe. <laughs> um, and, and there's more to it than just like physical energy levels, but this might be a, a good way to start things out. So I've seen working for yourself when you have a, let's just say a surplus of energy or adequate amounts of energy and, you know, relatively... I don't know, like when I started working for myself, the idea of buying life insurance was like literally silly to me. Yeah. Why would I do that? Who cares? I don't have any kids. I'm young. Yada, yada. I still don't have any kids. Probably won't have any kids. But um, things change. And now I'm working for myself in a situation where I don't feel like I have endless energy. I do pay multiple forms of insurance that I thought were crazy. <laughs> 10, 20 years ago. And it's, it, it makes me think that like aging as you work for yourself is maybe a topic that's worth talking about. Like maybe it's something you can do somewhat intentionally or cause, cause I certainly think if I was doing the same kind of work that I was doing when I started out freelancing, I, I would hate my life. Literally <laughs> I would hate my life right now. So that suggests that maybe as you age, you want different things out of your, your self-employment. And so there we go. That's, that's mm. what I'll say to set that up. Yeah. Interesting. So time marches on and it's, it's, I wonder which of the, which of the things, I guess it doesn't matter, you know, like as, you know, as time goes on, you people just tend to get sick of repetition and like new and fresh challenges. Plus you get more responsibilities. Usually, you know, maybe you buy a house instead of renting, mm -hmm. maybe you get married, maybe you have kids, uh, pets, whatever you end up getting 
you end up moving up Maslow's hierarchy of needs a little bit and you, it, it's almost like uh, sort of backsliding on that, on that hierarchy feels like dying. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, uh Oh, this is, this is not the direction I'm supposed to be traveling. <laughs> right. So it's a whole bunch of things happen. I'm not, when you first proposed the title, I was thinking of it a little bit more as a specific type of age sort of thing, but I really think it's just, it could just as easily be after you've been in business for 10 years. And even if you started when you were 17, mm-hmm. you know, and you're only 27, still you're going to have transformed or you're going to be sick of it. I would think you can't imagine just staying status quo over the entire time and being just as excited to get up in the morning and do your job as you were. 10 years previous. Yeah, I I can't imagine that either. And I always wonder, like, uh, I I assume, hopefully rightly so, that that my experience of life is is not, like, radically different than other human beings. (laughs) You know, like, I assume there's some common ground there. First of all, no, you're, you're totally different. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I, I know there are differences, but yet... Just like the, I assume there's the fundamentals are shared to some degree. Yeah, a lot of overlap. Right? You know, like I, I would prefer to live during a time of peace rather than a time of war or you know, sure. like some of the fundamentals like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I just assume that other people also want some, uh, some kind of challenge that is not becoming stale or like th- that they want this feeling of growth in their career. Right. And I am probably fair to say that people over time do, I'm trying to think, is this just me? But I I would say that it's pretty fair to say that over time people crave more stability, not less. Even if it's a slight increase in stability, I think that I mean, in my life, the, the, the change in desired level of stability is dramatic. I mean, I lived in my car while it was a van. Okay. It was a palatial car. It was like, uh, it was like a band van, right? That's like, yeah, yeah. A band van. So it wasn't even a nice van. It was disgusting. <laughs> you like Ford E150. And honestly, I, I romanticize it. it. I kind of like could imagine doing it again, but <laughs> it, it really wasn't that bad. Oh, there's anyway. so many things going for it. Like if you ever get hungry, you just look under the seat cushions and there's like a whole meal worth of French fries underneath there. Yeah, they keep. I mean, they're still good. <laughs> or cheese puffs. <laughs> right. You just go and get some duck sauce from a Chinese takeout and this spruces them right up. <laughs> you know, I, um, like uh, something you and I share in common is I, I lived in about the same amount of square footage also without 120 volt electricity. I don't know if you had an inverter in that sucker or not, but I did not. Like I've had a similar enough experience that it it helps me understand. <laughs> like I see the delta between where I am today and that, and I don't mm. want to go back to that. Um, when we we were building a house at the coast, and the first structure was, that was up on the property was um, a eight by eight foot building that contained the well pumping equipment. So we lived in that for about six weeks. Um, mm. So anyway, like it, I know what you're talking about. I I think we can, at least for the purposes of this conversation, assume that maybe if you're starting a new venture, you're willing to eat ramen for a while, but you don't want to see the whole direction of your life going in reverse 
away from greater stability, greater, um, you know, material prosperity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wealth. Yeah. I think we can assume that for at least for the purposes of this conversation. Right. Right. And, and, you know, I'm trying to think about like my primary exposure to other self-employed people is through the services that I offer and the products that I sell. So it may be that I attract like-minded people who also crave growth in their career. Um, and, and maybe that's unusual. I don't, honestly, I am a little embarrassed to admit, I don't really know, but like you, I assume that, um, most people who are willing to undergo what it takes, the stress and, you know, the additional responsibility that it takes to work for yourself are also probably craving some kind of growth. And so they would like to see their career be better, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Mm -hmm. Sure. I mean, I see plenty of people who, who are in the first year or two, uh, freelancing, they, they probably worked at some kind of full-time employment where they, they, they learned or polished up a particular skill, usually a technology skill could have been, you know, could be software development. It could be image editing in Photoshop. It could be whatever, mm-hmm. but they, they gained this skill as a full-time employee or they polished up a skill that they had as a hobby as a full-time employee. And then they start to get disillusioned with maybe the commute or the boss or they get fired or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, I've got this valuable skill. Uh, they, they believe that it's valuable they, because they put so much work into learning it and they really enjoy it. And they, they are under the impression that it therefore has an intrinsic value. And it's probably true that someone values it, but not everyone does. Mm-hmm. And they sort of tell all their friends and family, there's this story that, oh, I got fired or, oh, I quit. Uh, you know, I told the, told the boss to take this job and shove it. And that word gets out that now you're a freelance designer or a freelance software developer. And they tell their friends and what do you know, you get some leads. Uh, maybe you have a, uh, a client that you had on the side during your full-time job, or maybe your full-time job hires you as a contractor, but they didn't want to keep you on full time. But however you make that initial entry, somehow you do it and you're like, Oh sweet, I'm doing it. You know? And all of a sudden, uh, you're like, Oh, I've got to do all these other things like invoicing and maybe tracking hours and doing proposals and having sales meetings and doing marketing and doing all these other things. And maybe you, 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 I was going to say, maybe you do them all. You don't, you don't do them all. You do the ones you have to do and uh, you get really busy really fast and that goes for a while. Time goes on. You probably hit what I think Philip calls a sophomore slump Mm -hmm. where you, you get, you burn through all of your immediate connections. It takes about, what would you say, a year or two? Yeah. Uh, that, that corresponds with my experience and, I, I think a lot of what I've seen from folks who've hired me to give them advice is something like that. Although I think in some cases people will make it last for maybe five years. So, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it could be uh, other things make it last longer. I think you're right about a year or two to sort of burn through that initial goodwill that you have. Right. And then maybe you get a whale client, you get a super steady client that can take you, you know, five years. Right. Really, you're, you're basically an employee. Right. Basically. 
Yeah, or maybe you get some repeat business, or maybe you just happen to pick up a skill set at that exact right time when demand is exploding and supply can't keep up. That that can make it last for closer to five years. True. Yep, I, that's what happened to me with mobile stuff. Mm-hmm. I, like I got got in at the right right as the roller coaster was heading up to the top of the right. inflated expectations on the Gartner curve. Yep. So okay, so. Then what happens is you a bunch of things can happen at a, after enough time passes. Either you start to find that you are not getting as many leads as you used to, or you're getting no leads or really like one or two a year. It just doesn't seem like what you your skill is in demand anymore. Uh, you start to look or you start to find yourself in competition with people who are years younger, 10 years, you're, you're find yourself in competition with people who are like just getting out of college and oh wow. Okay. And they're willing to eat ramen and you're not. So guess who's going to be cheaper? Uh, or it could be that you're, you're doing okay. You're getting leads. You're, you're landing better. Uh, you're landing, you're still continuing to keep the lights on and you're not super nervous about that, but you're getting sick of what you do. You're getting sick of typing the same semicolons every day, or you're getting sick of being micromanaged, or you're getting sick of doing stuff and not, uh, not, I want to say having an impact, but you're, you're building things and people are just sort of, um, I kind of want to say getting taken for granted or something. You're just not happy with the, uh, the emotional reward of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is a, maybe this is a, uh, I think it's a combination of straight up human boredom and, and also this kind of desire for respect and status as time goes on. Maybe it's, maybe that is a factor of age, you know, once you have, you know, once you're getting a little gray on top, uh, you don't want some whippersnapper sending you a punch list and saying, Hey, get this done ASAP. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? You know, you're, you're at this phase where you're looking around the table and you are 10 years older than anybody else sitting there. And you're still doing the same thing that you've been doing since you were their age. Yeah. And you know, I will, um, I will say that I think, just to kind of add some nuance to that, um, I think that problem is exacerbated in sort of the pure technology part of professional services. Uh, like I do notice, at least in the local community of freelancers here in Sonoma County, the ones who um, seem like they aren't feeling that pressure as much are more in the, I mean, programming is a very creative endeavor, but they're more in what we think of as the creative end of that spectrum. Designers, um, copywriters, that kind of thing. I, I feel like they have a somewhat reduced version of what we're talking about. And, and you know, just so the folks at home know, you and I both have this background in technology. So I think I think we see that, that same pressure, whatever it is. I mean, it, ageism is not the word that I'm dancing around here because that's a sort of different thing mm-hmm. but it, it i think it's amplified in the the software end of things yeah that's that's probably true 
But, but I think it's inevitable for anybody unless you just would be just as happy working an assembly line job. <laughs> and maybe there's some people out there where that would be their vision of the good life is just a good paying assembly line job. And if that's the case, um, I would never want to take that away from you because that to me sometimes seems like a gift. If that's, <laughs> if that's all you want from life, you know, right. is to kind of fit so into easy. an industrial type economy and just do what you're told. There's a sort of gift in that. Um, so yeah. anyway, I, and I, I don't mean that as a backhanded compliment. I just mean that it, it simplifies things. It's harder right. if, if if you're more like me, more like, sounds like you are, Jonathan, where you do, there's there's some kind of configuration of emotional stuff and mental expectations that life is supposed to be progress and growth. Yeah, And, and you get to this point where... I agree completely where you're like, wait, really? Uh, I don't want to do that again. There's nothing new in that for me. Or that doesn't challenge me the way it used to. Or I would like to contribute more. I'd like to make more of an impact than just doing that thing. Mm -hmm. And so you were kind of setting that up with this wonderful narrative of like what it's like. And then you reach this inflection point, right? And doing the same old kind of skill, skill based stuff is no longer enough. Right. You want people to, you know, if you make chairs for a living, you want people to use them. Mm -hmm. You don't want to just get better at making them and impress your other chair making friends. Eventually, at some point, you, I, I can't decide if, if it's a maturity thing or an age thing. I guess they're pretty closely tied. But at some point, you reach a maturity level where you're like, okay, I'm done showing off for my colleagues. I want to actually... Like I want to have this in the, like making a difference in the world. So it's now, now I'm like flashing back to like musical experience. So, you mm. know, people probably know I used to be uh, in a band and I performed as a solo singer songwriter for years. And there's a, you, there's, there were, I used to run an open mic. It was super fun. I ran an open mic for uh, probably two years, every Tuesday night at the Tinker's Nest in Warren, Rhode Island. And it was just a ball. Mm. And, and the, and there were clearly two different kinds of people that would show up to jam. There were bedroom musicians that practiced in front of their mirror, mm -hmm. which was me for years and years as a kid, you know, a teenager just like wanted to be Eddie Van Halen practicing like my moves. Mm -hmm. Couldn't play, but I, but man, did I have the moves. <laughs> and, and there were people who actually performed at other places regularly. And the difference is so shocking, hmm. but they're both fun, right? So like I don't perform really anymore at all. If I do at all, it's like a jam with my brother and some friends. Mm -hmm. But the, and that is more of, there's, there's like craft there. Like you want to, you're, you're all sort of your own audience. And even if you're playing for yourself, you're kind of your own audience, but you want to, and I, I promise I'll tie this back to freelancing. You, at a certain point, you can't force yourself. At least I couldn't. At a certain point, you can't force yourself to practice anymore. I mean, I practiced 18 hours a day when I was at Berkeley. Hmm. I, I gave myself carpal tunnels. I mean, like I practiced and practiced and practiced. And after whatever it is, 10,000 hours, according to Malcolm Gladwell, mm -hmm. You just, it just loses all, it's like, wait a second, what am I practicing for? Mm. 
I don't want to just be able to, you know, play a Phrygian scale from the Penky at 200 beats per minute. Wow. Big deal. Mm -hmm. I want to make people dance or cry or laugh or something. Mm -hmm. I want to move people. So now all of a sudden it's like, okay, uh, I, I just don't get the, well, okay. So to tie it back, to tie it back, I think you, you can go for a real long time on your craft. And, wait, wait, hold and, up. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. What's the, yeah. what's, what's the difference you saw between the bedroom uh, practice or people and the people who actually have experience performing in front of a group? Empathy and no empathy. Okay. Okay. So the people who were playing to the mirror uh-huh. would get up on stage and their whole thing was about being, proving that they were good, uh, uh, looking good, sounding good. I want, and the people who performed on a regular basis, they were totally focused on making sure the audience was, they were focused on connection. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 So that, yeah, huge difference. And it's the exact same thing. You know, it's the same thing with, with business. It's like, if you're totally focused on yourself, it's, you don't connect with anyone and people don't want to engage with you, which in the business world means hire you. Yeah. I've, I've seen, I mean, a little bit of a tangent, sorry, but I, I've totally seen that in live music. I remember seeing uh, Maceo Parker perform in Nashville uh, he was uh, James Brown, one of James Brown's uh, horn players. And it was that experience of like he was there to make sure I and every other person in that club had the time of their life. Mm-hmm. And it was like it was palpable. You could it, I didn't have to like reflect on it for days after the show and be like, what was different about that? You just felt it right away. He was totally different. It's a completely different experience. And I have seen the other side where, you know, the band is there to take from the audience. Mm -hmm. Anyway, you sit, you sit there, be quiet and watch me do my thing. And then there's the, there's the sort of more inclusive and warm. It's like, it's like, you know, you spent it, it's like a respect at whatever we have. We could, we could talk about music all day for mm-hmm. sure. 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 But, but there's a really strong parallel there. And the, the, the particular piece of it that I wanted to get at is that at least for me personally, I know this is true with a lot of my friends, they music friends, it, the, the, after a certain point, yeah, you got to work on your craft, but after a certain point, it's not this self fulfilling satisfaction. It's self-satisfying exercises, activity to engage in practicing scales or doing vocal exercises or practice, you know, jamming with your cover band and learning a new tune, you know, with your friends in the, in a uh, basement, eventually you're, you get sick of it. And the thing that comes in its place is that you want to perform. You want to get out and have listeners. You want to like move you at least want to get up in front of people maybe your motivation is still very selfish but eventually you can't keep playing to the mirror and you want to go out and grow you want to get Mm -hmm. big you want to okay let's let's see if we actually stink or we're actually good let's see if anybody likes this and then hopefully as you get better then you get more like okay what what reaction am i trying to get with this band or with this song am i trying to make people cry or dance or whatever Mm -hmm. and or incite them to riot, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But eventually you get to a point, I think of maturity that you realize that you are there for the audience. And, uh, I, there's a strong parallel here to business where the freelancing, where I think once you get to that phase where you're like, okay, I remember exactly what it was for me. Exactly. I remember one day I was, and I used to have a lot of fun trying to come up with the, 
ideal way to code a login uh-huh. for a website because was, this is before rails, which now you just basically pull in like a gem and you're done. Mm-hmm. So nobody even has to write logins anymore anyway. But I would like always want to perfect that. And, mm-hmm. and I remember one day I was like, okay, new project. I'm going to write the login. I'm going to do it better than ever. And I sat down in front of the code editor. I was like, I am so sick of doing it. If I never write another login, it'll be too soon. <laughs> I never, ever, ever want to code another login form. I just snapped. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. Now it, that is when I sort of graduated to like, okay, what's the, what is the point of this website? Why are we doing this? What's the easiest way that I can get this login form done mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of, you know, I didn't charge by the hour, but you can imagine someone charging by the hour and being like, okay, this is going to be the most perfect login form I've ever made. <laughs> and on the client's, on the client's dime, sitting there and indulging in that activity. So, you know, maybe, maybe not everybody, you know, not everybody's going to reach the highest level of maturity in all things. And maybe coding login forms by hand, maybe the, you know, or whatever, you know, the parallel is these days, uh, is fine and satisfying and that's great. So really this is more for, I, I think this episode is more for people who, where the thrill is gone mm-hmm. in the craft and they're like a little bit like, whoa, uh, that was kind of an overnight shift. And all of a sudden I woke up one day and realized that I'm really bored by what I do. Mm-hmm. And what's what's the way out? Yeah, I mean, um, so let's map out what could be the ways out. Um, mm-hmm. There, you could make a lateral move of some kind. Say, okay, I need to learn a new new skill, new discipline, something that you know gets me back on that learning curve. And but in in a way that is essentially a repetition of what I did before. I wonder if this is what um, Michael Jordan was doing when <laughs> when he when he started doing golf. You remember that? Yeah, he had baseball. Okay, yeah, he, he kind of took a stab at both, right? Um, mm-hmm. As as a player, rather than this could be a nice, uh, I guess, analogy for this. Like, I, I don't know what was going on in his head. I'm not actually that big of a sports fan, but I think. I think it's an interesting analogy because enough people are likely to remember that, what was it, in the 90s sometime? Um, you know, he was at just the peak of his career as a professional base, uh, basketball player. And then he tried some other professional sports and he did not do nearly as well. And they were kind of short, I think, short-lived experiments for him. But mm. I, uh, assuming I'm not massively wrong about the facts of, of what happened or, or his motivation... I think what he was doing is is essentially saying, okay, I'm going to do what I did for basketball, but I'm for a different thing. I'm going to become a um, a very good competitive professional sports player in a different domain. So, that, and right. I think of that as a lateral move, and and that's mm-hmm. one option, right? You, you get bored yep. with coding, and you're like, you know, these uh, you know UX seems like a really interesting challenge, and I kind of touch that tangentially as a developer, so. I'm going to move into UX and do user experience design. There's any yeah, number I, of lateral me, moves you could do. Right. It's so like for me, it'd be, I've been thinking about this ever since your most recent new version of uh, CPP. Hmm. I was like, yeah, it, you could, 
for me, if I was going to do what I think you were referring to as a lateral move, I would be like, okay, I had a great run with the, with this sort of horizontal specialty on mobile web. Mm-hmm. And now that's basically commoditized. It's kind of like commoditized might not be quite the right word, but we're, we're in the crossing the chasm phase where pretty much the only people left that need it are laggards mm-hmm. and they're no fun to sell to. They don't really, they still don't want it. It's like pulling teeth to get them to, to do it. Uh, so, oh, well, what could I do? I could go in a bunch of different directions. I think a lateral move for me would to be, would be to move to, uh, conversational interfaces. Mm-hmm. So, which, which is actually very exciting. Like, I think that's really cool. It's, oh, guess what? If I look at the, the Gar- Gartner height curve, mm-hmm. it's on the ascent. Everyone's mm-hmm. talking about it. It would be really easy to get attention around that. There are very few people who are recognized as experts because it's brand new or relatively new or relatively new that it's actually working. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's basically a new thing. Uh, so for me, that would be a lateral move. So going from like mobile web development or mobile responsive web design, which was super new. And now it's just like, duh. And, you know, for 10 years and now switch over to, you know, bet on a different horse essentially, but it kind of be, it'd be all the exact same kind of client relationships and the same kind of conversations. It would just be a different topic. Yeah. It, it's a fundamentally the same uh, value proposition, right? Your yes. value is I have more expertise than you do on this brand new thing that nobody knows very much at all about. And I will build stuff for you using that expertise and give you some advice about mm-hmm. how to build it. Is yeah, that fair to say? Are, yeah. So it'd be like, stay on the cutting edge of technology at all times, right. but you'd have to keep changing courses. Let me tell you, um, like, like that's kind of the model I viewed for adapting to change in the marketplace. Like that's the model that I uh, um, just sort of said, okay, that that's what you do. Like there's, I, I didn't know of any other choice for a long time. And it gets exhausting after a while. And I talk yeah, to people. And, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's not just me. <laughs> I mean, me maybe I'm sort of, you know, not very old. strong in this so area or very resilient or something, happens, but I, I've talked to enough people me, to convince me that for most perfect. of us humans, of it gets exhausting. Was, this idea uh, that, okay, now I have to in the space. You know, I was already learn doing web all over again the particulars of some new technology domain. And if it's not technology, it's so exciting. It just like... It was Photoshop it was for me Illustrator to do it. Favor, it now you have to learn sketch. That That's an example from the design end of things. Like I, I literally yeah. watched that. So I it's always something that you, you, you can sort of pin your hopes to. Okay, if I just get up to speed on this new like, thing, that's what I'm doing from I'll be relevant. And like it was just so obvious. I'll, I'm like, be able, that I'll have a want, fresh what I want value to do. proposition. It was there was no such thing as the app store back then. In fact, the web was going to be how you made apps for it. I was like, this is like Christmas came early. Like, do you run your own freelance business, or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side? And well, then you need fresh books. is the quickest and easiest way to get in voices out to your clients it's easy to use it works anywhere available from any device uh, on the desktop iphone ipad android and all of your data is backed up and secure and it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid you'll be tracking time logging expenses and invoicing your clients in no time you can also save time billing freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love 
and you get but paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link you know, so it, it on the invoice that says like, pay oh, me now. And it's a great Bitcoin, way to grow your business. Bots, Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter uh, dev chat in the how did you hear more, about a section I've gone deep down the rabbit hole i've i've reached what i feel is just uh, i've reached a sense of mastery and to switch to another one means throwing that away mm -hmm. and that's not a fun feeling and then the last thing is uh very closely related i have a body of work whether it's books or blog posts or uh, podcast interviews or past clients that all are in this rabbit hole. And if I pick a new rabbit hole, I, none of that stuff is worth a damn. Mm -hmm. It's basically like it's worthless, yeah. essentially. Right. So you have to throw a lot away. feels like starting over. It feels like going back to like crawling back to an old employer almost. Like, oh, it didn't <laughs> well, work things out. didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious about um, particularly one thing you said where the feeling of it being this choice that is like laborious or not spontaneous is that do you think that's like a personality thing for you or do you think that's actually a an inferior way of making that decision um i suppose my reaction to it is a personality thing but mm -hmm. it doesn't feel as natural and organic mm -hmm. where now that now that i've seen behind the curtain of specialization I didn't think I was doing anything um, like I didn't think I was doing anything from a marketing standpoint or a positioning standpoint really for my business. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've always, I've always known since I went solo that, that it's a great, it's a great magical thing to be known as the go-to person for something. And uh, like, I knew, I knew that's just magic. Like people will contact you. If you are well known as the authority on a thing, it's magic. You don't have to do, you know, tons of cold calls or advertising or that, you know, people will come to you if they, if it's a thing that they care about. Right. So I always knew that I wanted to be like the, whatever, whether it's the, the mobile web guy or the DIY video guy or the arrow billing is nuts guy. Like you need, like I, I wanted to stand out and kind of be that sort of, you know, monopoly of one, so to speak, or like, mm -hmm. like the only option or the best option I should say. But I didn't, I wasn't, that's not why I picked it though. Mm -hmm. Like I knew, I sort of always had my radar out for, for what's the next thing. And, and that just was a perfect time. Everything was just perfect timing. It was total kismet. And I was like, oh, that's, per and this has happened to me three or two or three times before that. Mm -hmm. But if somehow this one was enough of a, a home run or it lasted long enough that I was far enough down the rabbit hole or, or you could say I just rested on my laurels too long. And I'm like, you know, I, I really, a lateral move for me would be harder to do now because I don't, you know, cause well, here are the other, the other, the options are chatbots, voice computing and blockchain. Right. Like those are the, those are the things that are the way that mobile was back then. And I just don't really care. I mean, I'm kind of, I think conversational communities is really cool, but 
maybe it's maturity. Maybe it's because it's, I don't know. I just, I just don't care that much about it. And if I was like, okay, I'm going to make a name for myself as like, you know, the Alexa guy, it would be very calculated. Mm. It wouldn't be like, uh, like, oh, this is going to be so much fun. And at nights I'm going to do this. I'm going to build these apps for myself and it's going to be so cool. Cause that's how it was with mobile. I was contributing to open source it was heavily. And I was, you know, I was like in the, I was in the in group of all that. And it was, I don't know, it was fun. And now I'm just like, uh, having done, having had all those feelings about that technology to kind of try and reproduce it in another one feels very fake. Yeah. I see what you're saying now. Uh, just to try to use, put it in my own words. Um, may, maybe just for my own benefit, not even for the benefit of our wonderful listeners. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it sounds like you're saying it would feel, uh, sort of soulless or like your, like your heart's not in it. Um, and that, yeah. like, you have to have that feeling of caring for it on an emotional level. It can't just be mentally the right move, you know, intellectually the right choice. There's got to be a feeling of, like, uh, like loving what you spend your, your days doing. Yeah, because if you don't, if you don't have that, then you constantly second-guess your rational part of your brain. That's mm -hmm. like, oh... Oh, how do I know? Because I hear this all the time from students. Well, how do I know which one to pick? I'm like, well, which one do you love? Mm -hmm. None of them. Well, then don't pick any of them. Right. Because they're like, oh, I did this. I did this for three minutes and, and it's not working. You know, yeah. I'm exaggerating. But people, people who just make a rational choice like that based on this a simple money calculation, which is what it would be for me, they, they want something to happen like immediately. And then they're like, oh, this isn't working. I'm like, you haven't barely done, you've been doing this for three months. You know, we, we've had like, we've had like six phone calls. What did you expect? You know, that suddenly the world was going to beat a path to your door because you wrote three blog posts about conversational computing. You know, yep. this is like, it's a long game. And if you're, if you're not just like, if you're not like losing sleep because you're so excited about writing a, you know, creating a demo skill for Alexa, you know, that's probably not a lateral move, you know, because again, to tie this back to a lateral move, uh, you, you probably have matured past a point where that's going to spread your toes, so to speak, mm -hmm. that kind of a thing. Yeah. I, I mean, just using different language to say the same thing in anything that, that, um, there, there you have to invest in the marketing is like just to kind of cast this same idea in businessy terms. And you're saying that the fuel for that investment, which is primarily time, like, you know, you can do paid advertising campaigns and attend conferences that require you to spend money out of pocket and stuff like that. So the marketing investment may have a financial component, but for a lot of what we're talking about and, um, you know, a lot of the kind of, businesses that we run, it's the marketing can be done with like 95% of it is a sweat equity investment. And I hear you saying, Jonathan, that if your heart's not in it, it's going to be very difficult to invest sufficiently in the marketing for it to work. It being this change that you've made to your business, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Right. And if we, and to, to take it one step further than that, we're, what we're talking about here are horizontal specializations and 
if you aren't genuinely passionate about the new flavor of the month, mm-hmm. it's going to be really hard to be a global expert on the thing. Yeah. Someone who's younger than you and has more time and is, and it's their first time on the roller coaster, they're going to beat you, you know? So if you're, because they're just going to be, they're going to be all over it. So, you know, odds are. Yeah. 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 So it's like, you know, who wants to even, I don't know. <laughs> it's just like, it's, I don't think that's the move. I think when you have 10 years in, cause I've been working for myself since 2016 so at this point, that's like 11 years and, uh, that's not, you know, a lateral move is not, not the move, not for me. So you can hang up your spurs, <laughs> you can do a <laughs> lateral move, or I think what you and I are both, um, simultaneously thinking is, is for some people, maybe for a lot of people, the better option is what do we call it? A vertical move, a move into advisory services. Yeah, there's a couple of ways. Yeah. Yeah. So w- what do you think are the alternatives to quitting or a lateral move? Or, I mean, I guess uh, another alternative is just do nothing and try to live with the status quo. Yeah. I, I think eventually the status quo is going to kick you out. So <laughs> it has a I, way I of doing that. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I had said, you know what, I don't want to build login forms anymore, but I'm going to keep at it, keep at it, keep at it and make the most perfect login form everywhere. Rails would have put me out of a job. Yeah. So, or you self-sabotage by being a pain in the ass to work with or something. Yeah. Yeah. Never get another referral. People, not just referrals, but people would behind your back would be like, don't hire that guy. He's a jerk. Yeah. But even if I did plow through that, you know, so a, a couple of moves, I think a really interesting one is to look back, you know, I'll use myself as an example, look back and say, okay, what did I do for the business? I know what I did in my basement coding or, you know, on the phone or on visits when we were brainstorming about how to, you know, implement thing or that, you know, this thing or that thing. But if I, if, you know, a good way to do this would be to go back to my previous clients and say, okay, Hey, I'm redoing my website. I wanted to like just interview folks and get a sense of what the sort of intervention that you hired me to provide, what it did for you guys in terms of business outcomes, whether they were tangible or intangible. And I've, and I've actually done this and you get back what you get back are utterly non-technical explanations of the change that you helped the business make. So what you can do once you, and it's really hard to, it's really hard to do this. Uh, you, you can't do this without talking to your clients. Almost nobody in my shoes anyway, like in the kind of job I have, almost nobody just knows off the top of their head what their, the coding or the coaching, you know, the developer coaching they gave or the training class they taught. Almost nobody knows what the business ultimately got out of it from their perspective. So if you go back and you ask them, you odds are pretty good that you'll see some parallels and, and you know, they had a particular business problem and somehow your engagement helped them alleviate that problem or, or capture an opportunity. And then you can say, okay, what I do, you can kind of black box the technology, whatever it is that you spend your time doing in your basement and say, I help companies solve this problem or capture this kind of an opportunity. 
maybe I use mobile technology, maybe I switch technologies, maybe I, you know, maybe instead of mobile web, it's iOS and Android, or maybe it's conversational interfaces or whatever, but you get more focused on the business change that you enable and kind of let the implementation details, uh, kind of, you know, you, you, the, the change that you, you put the change that you make center stage and the implementation details are off in the wings. So you might still do whatever, you know, responsive web design, but it might be focused on solving a particular problem like plugging a leaky sales funnel because marketing emails can't be read on mobile. And so maybe behind the scenes, what I do is I come up with templates and things that, uh, you know, make for really good HTML emails on mobile phones. So I'm still kind of doing the same thing, but I'd be putting myself out in the world as someone who uh, improves the effectiveness of mobile marketing. And then all of a sudden things get exciting again because uh, the business can businesses can can understand that they can hire me for it and then it's up to me how i implement it so i can i can go back to kind of dabbling around in all these different things as long as i'm moving the needle at the end of the day for the client and they feel like they're getting a positive roi on the investment they made with me everybody's happy so that, that was one way so focusing on solving a particular business problem and using your skills to solve it mm-hmm Yep. I like how you did not say the scary A word um, or the scary R word or the scary C word. Um, advi- advice, retainer, consultant. <laughs> uh, this is a, um, in terms of a change, it's relatively uh, incremental. It's not like a revolutionary change. Mm-hmm. And I like that because sometimes that's exactly what someone needs is something that does not feel super threatening to their, uh, the existence of their business. Mm -hmm. So another way, what would you, what would you call that move? I would, I mean, I would call that a, I mean, maybe a marketing messaging change. Mm -hmm. It, It could be as simple as that. I mean, ultimately it might be, it result in a positioning change, but it starts, I think with just a change in your marketing message. And your marketing message, I guess, for just a quick working definition of what that is, is what's the main message? If you kind of look at the sum total of your marketing, for some of us, that's nothing whatsoever. For some, that's a website they put together five years ago and haven't updated. And for others, that's like a coordinated effort across multiple uh, channels to actually, you know, generate leads or create awareness or educate prospects or something, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, when you look at the sum total of whatever it is you're doing in your marketing, which does include your conversations and it includes your service delivery because that affects how people think of you and remember you. Mm -hmm. Anyway, when you look at the sum total of all that, um, your marketing message is like, what's the main idea? What are you saying? And so I would call it a change to your marketing message. Mm. It's kind of like, I see it as, uh, as a, like what, what, what would, what do people say about you when you're not there? Right. Right. So like, so if somebody, if, if a past client was talking to one of their friends and said, Hey, you got to talk to Stark. Oh yeah. Why? Oh, he helps people with their, their whatever, what, 
they're not going to say, oh, he writes media queries so that, you know, <laughs> and responsive images that load really quickly. No, they're going to, the, the, your past client is going to say to their colleague, he got our, our, uh, email campaign numbers on mobile, like, like quadrupled, like the click through numbers were insane. And they don't care if I use media queries or what I did or that I tested with litmus or browser stack. They don't care. They want to know, not interested. Mm -hmm. It's like, what's that? It's that one quick thing that a past client would, would, when they make a recommendation to one of their colleagues, it's, they're not going to, they're not going to pull out a PowerPoint deck and be like, Oh, he does stuff like this. And it's kind of like that. They're going to come up with one short, probably five or six word summary of your entire business mm -hmm. and you in a perfect world you would know what that was and you would put it as the headline in your site because that you know assuming you liked that client because that's kind of like that's what they care about mm -hmm. so anyway so to me this seems like uh specializing on a problem to be solved so specializing on solving a business problem or improving some business metric and it's less of a, even though your skills are just as important and your craft is just as important, you still need to be good at it. You're still going to use it all the time. It's not the focus of your marketing message or any of your, any of your conversations with clients. It's really not the focus. The focus is, well, tell me what your problem is. Okay. We're going to, we're going to work on that. It's like your physical therapist isn't going to tell you like all the details of like every muscle that he's manipulating while he's twisting your arm behind your head. I don't care. <laughs> I just want the sh my shoulder to feel better. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's funny. I've actually had the experience with healthcare providers who will like, actually this was with a vet, threw up an x-ray of uh, the animal in question and was like saying stuff that I have no context for understanding. And I hate to say it, it was kind of off-putting. It was like, oh yeah. Um, a, I feel like a dum-dumb for not knowing yep. this. And am I supposed to know this? And if, if not, why are you saying something that I'm, supposed to know or anyway it, it, yeah, so it's I can like, just, why are you <laughs> yeah why are you making me feel dumb <laughs> in other words right <laughs> anyway I hit a really yeah, this is I think this is an important point because because software developers do this all the time and you can see a client just sort of like get glassy-eyed mm -hmm. when you do it and, you know you're using acronyms and blah 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 going on and on and on and it's I think it's good to be on the receiving end of this once in a while to really appreciate how it's almost rude, you know, yeah. I had a wild experience recently. I had to take Cooper to the emergency room because he banged his head like really hard. And I was like kind of panicking. He ended he was fine. But, hmm. um, the doctor came in, the doctor was amazing. So this lady comes in to examine him and you know, he's seven. So he, he's never been in the emergency room before. There's hmm. a lot of crazy stuff going on. As you can imagine, you know, people blood coming out of him and stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and she came in and she had, um, like an assistant or like an int, not an intern, what are they called? Uh, uh, like a physician's assistant. Yeah. Something mm -hmm. like that. So, mm -hmm. so there's this, the doctor who's also female who was examining Cooper. And then there's this other, you know, this other assistant doctor who was typing up everything mm -hmm. so that the, the main doctor could focus totally on the patient. Mm-hmm. And it was wild because she was, you know, she's talking to a seven year old mm -hmm. and she was super, 
super excellent bedside manner, like, oh, you know, just da 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 da. And then over her shoulder with a completely different tone and almost like in a lower tone of voice. So it was, it was almost subliminal. Mm -hmm. She would rattle off. <laughs> might have, might as well have been in a different language. Like she would rattle off like, like three sentences of complete gibberish right. for the other woman to type in. And then she'd snap right back to like Dr. Friendly uh -huh. and, and engage with Cooper. And at one point she said to him, you know, cause he hit his head. So she, she was asking questions like, how old are you? Do you remember your name? Where do you live? And then she goes, uh, she goes, what's your physician's name? Uh -huh. And he totally blanked. And I was like, he, I'm like, he totally knows. Uh, no, she goes, what's your pediatrician's name? Uh huh. And he blanked out. And I was like, why, why does he knows? I know he knows his doctor's name. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me. He didn't know what the word pediatrician meant. Yeah. He knows doctor so, probably, but not pediatrician. Yeah, yeah. Doctor, but not pediatrician. So, so, okay. So that was a long story, but the, the point is, uh, switching away from language that's about your skill set and switching it into terms that are, in, you know, making that translation into terms that your client cares about. I think it's, it's, um, you know, we are always talking about marketing, but it, it's right down to the meat. It's every communication you have with them, whether it's a marketing communication or, or a project status meeting. Mm -hmm. I think that is the way to do it so that it's, it's in their terms. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a marketing shift that is, I think the least threatening way you can deal with that kind of hitting that, um, ceiling or plateau or that feeling of like, Oh, this is just not, I can't, I can't do another iteration of, I can't do a lateral move. So mm -hmm. I can move up vertically by starting to talk about what I do differently. Maybe you don't even change anything else. That's just the first change is you shift the emphasis from what you do to what kind of results you create. Yes. Perfect. Perfect way to put it. So. And that, which comes from maturity. Yeah. You, you've had enough clients that you can get the feedback needed to even describe mm -hmm. the results that you're delivering. I feel like we've, we've almost got a two part episode on our hands here. <laughs> yeah. Cause the other move, the other move is to go up the organization. Right. Do you, do you want to kind of like, you've had some experience doing that. Do mm. you kind of want to lay out what that looks like for the former practitioner, you know, the former code monkey <laughs> who, mm -hmm. who starts to move up? Sure. So briefly, I'll, I'll just draw an analogy like imagine you're, you're working in, uh, an organization and you are, you do creative execution. It's that, that was my title when I was at Staples. When I started there, I was doing creative execution, which meant that I built stuff in Quark Express. Mm. I built, you know, a digital file that was going to be printed as a catalog. And it, that's pretty low on the totem pole. Like up, I had a manager above me. Uh, we had a team lead who basically did the same thing as me, but had more experience then there was manager above us. Then she had a manager. Then there was like a director above that and, you know, and on up the chain. So if you imagine that you're a, uh, a freelancer who's doing creative execution, in other words, someone tells you what to do and you do it. Um, you have a highly specialized skill set that allows you to do it and they couldn't do it themselves. 
So they need you to do that. It's kind of like imagining giving yourself a promotion. Mm-hmm. So you, instead of doing creative execution or code monkeying, code monkeying around, then you say, okay, what would my boss do if I was an internal employee? Oh, my boss would probably manage a team of people like me. Or my boss would uh, potentially coach or train people like me. Or you could go farther up the chain like, oh, well, uh, my manager would decide how to keep us all happy. Or not decide how, but you know what I mean, like worry about how to keep us all happy. And then you can keep going up the chain. And there's probably some middle management areas there that are not super attractive to someone who's a code monkey. But when you, when you get up one or two levels higher, uh, maybe by doing some training stints or some workshops, uh, you can get to a phase pretty quickly, or it's, and quickly is the wrong word, it's not very far away vertically to get up to a point where instead of executing the creative that was decided upon, you are helping decide what the creative is going to be. So in, in a development context, this would be like, you know, instead of saying, okay, here's the, here are the list of user stories that the team is going to iterate on every two weeks, you help create the user stories. Mm-hmm. It's when, it's, instead of receiving them saying, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're helping to create them. So, uh, you know, things like roadmap, but you know, like you said, we could probably next episode, we should probably go into this vertical promotion type of thing. But the idea is to promote yourself up the organization so that you're working with people who are farther up the organization. And if you, if you have been in business long enough to be kind of in this malaise that we're talking about, then you probably know what I mean. If, if you haven't been doing things for a long time, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. But if you've been working for yourself for five, 10 years, you can think back and say, okay, you know, I've done a bunch of projects. I've done maybe 50 projects and my project contact is usually like whatever, um, you know, a lead developer or a VP of something. But every once in a while, the CEO or founder or president is in a meeting with me. So, okay, what were those meetings about and what did I contribute to those meetings? And then start thinking about how you can change your marketing to offer the kinds of results that you delivered in those meetings as discrete services or productized services or products. So, uh, you know, probably, probably this would be hard to just pull out of the air if you're brand new to freelancing. But the concept is to move up the organization and offer business solutions to individuals who would stand to benefit more than just like, okay, you know, complete these pages in Quark. So I'm going to jump in here and say, I know exactly what about, I'm going to guess 70% of listeners are thinking right now. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So Jonathan, you are what, what level belt in, um, martial arts? Um, purple, all of the martial arts. You can fight anybody in any style in case anyone's visiting in uh, Rhode Island. That's right. Um, Just bow first so I know I'm about to get punched. <laughs> so if you, ha- what's your dominant arm, your right or left? Right. Okay, so if that was tied behind your back, what level belt would you be? <laughs> uh, yeah, good point. It would be a lot easier to beat me. So if, <laughs> if, 
if I could go up against a, a purple belt with both hands, I could probably, I'd probably be fine against uh-huh. a yellow belt with okay. one hand. That's, I know for a lot of folks at home, that's exactly what hearing this advice feels like is like us saying, you should go into, into some, you know, uh, conflict situation with your best asset tied behind your back, which is you're thinking your best asset is I'm really great at Photoshop or I can turn out a, an amazing design and sketch in no time, or, you know, I'm really, really good with Python or whatever. Yeah. And they're leaving their superpower on the ground. Right. That's what it feels like. And, um, and I acknowledge that, but also want to tell you that I think you're wrong. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, if you have ever worked in corporate America and I assume, you know, corporate Germany and corporate Brazil is not (laughs) all that different than corporate America, you know, the level of ridiculous incompetence that is calcified in the leadership of companies and you got to trust yourself enough to have something of value that um, those people who are good people who are doing their best most of the time, um, maybe that you have some information they don't have access to. Maybe you could more easily do a two-month research project and bring some insight to the table that they lack because they're, you know, as Alan Weiss likes to say, breathing their own exhaust. Mm. Um I I just have this faith, and it really is more faith, honestly, than anything else. But it, it's a sort of article of faith for me that a sufficiently motivated um, person can can develop themselves in, I'd say, six to twelve months, to the point where they can credibly give advice to the leadership of a company. Now, maybe they're not going to start out giving advice to the leadership of General Motors or. Target or, you know, a Fortune 500 company, but they can start somewhere. And, uh, and that may be the vertical path of growth that we're talking about here for some folks. I heartily concur. Mm-hmm. People don't have, I think of, think of the CEO of any company. They have a million things to worry about that are unrelated to what you do. So you are automatically going to know way, way more about, in my case, the most basic things about mobile that are just don't, uh, don't, I want, I almost said don't matter. They do matter to say a CEO or whatever, but it's just a tiny sliver of all the things that matter. So you are almost surely can tell them something that you think every that you believe to be utterly obvious to every human being that this person just doesn't think about. They just don't, you know, they don't care. So it's, it's almost ironic because as you get up to these sort of more high powered individuals in an organization, they know less and less about your thing where if you, you know, if you are selling yourself as an iOS developer, to a startup that has 15 iOS developers and their lead was like, used to, used to work at Apple. You know, the CTO is from Apple and created Swift. You know, you're not going to impress anybody with the most esoteric, like amazing skills. It'd be really hard. But if you go to 
like you said, the CEO of Target, you might be able to show them why their keyboard on their phone doesn't work right because they, they <laughs> accidentally closed the autocomplete section. Right. You know, this is not high on their, their list of priorities, anything about mobile. So your casual, casual experience with the device is going to be potentially bring insights to someone in this situation. So just, just piling on with what Philip said, I believe that even though you're, you feel like you're leaving your superpower at the door, you are, you're moving into a place of, uh, you're moving into an expertise vacuum really. So the, the smallest insights can make a really big difference. Yep. Yeah. I, I sometimes say if, if you're smart enough to figure out XML, <laughs> you've got, you have the intelligence and uh, the motivation, I believe that, you know, you have the prerequisites to move into some kind of advisory work. Again, you're not going to be advising world leaders uh, on day one. You're not going to be advising maybe uh, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies on day one. But honestly, the, the difference between the people who are advising those and you might just be more in the domain of relationships than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree. The reason why you, you probably won't be advising them on day one is because they don't know you or trust you yet. Right. But you've got the skills. Almost yeah. surely. Almost yeah. surely you have the skills. You have the prerequisite intelligence and ability, you know, work ethic. And you have almost everything you need. Mm -hmm. You just need time to apply those in a certain way. Yeah, you need to attract those people to build that trust, to create tension. Mm-hmm that they want to resolve by writing you checks. I think we've got a pretty good second episode idea here, which is maybe just to drill a little more into detail into what does it look like to make that move into pure advisory services or largely advisory. I think there's plenty Mm -hmm. of companies that can do some of both, but over time just shift the emphasis more and more to the advisory services. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. cool. Yeah. Shall we move to picks? Have you Let's got picks do it. this week? This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash freelancershow. I have a pick. Um, you mentioned it earlier. It's this book, uh, Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore. And I think it's, it's a good read for folks who are at, whose, whose life or job is affected by technology, <laughs> which is, I, I think that is a code for everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, it, so it describes this idea of technology moving through a life cycle from it's absolutely brand new you know, it's a brand new innovation. It's, it's unknown, it's untested, and it holds this tremendous promise. And to me, the key insight of the book is uh, 
it's not quite said this way in the book, but as technologists, we have this bias where we think, well, this is, this solves so many problems. It's an improvement. Therefore, anybody in their right mind is going to rush, you know, like Justin Bieber fans at a Justin Bieber concert <laughs> to embrace this new technology. And you may be surprised to learn, but I think ultimately you'll be like, oh, that's why that company did not respond to my proposal. Oh, that's why, blah, blah, blah. That's why my boss shut me down when I suggested we start using, um, you know, microservices. Because there, there are different attitudes about the adoption of technology. And those attitudes break down into, I think, five fairly predictable buckets. And I think it's almost like a superpower to understand how this works. And I think this book, Crossing the Chasm, does a very nice job of laying that out. So if you, I, I may have picked it before, it's likely that I have, I think it's one of five or 10 business books that kind of goes in the canon of must reads. So that again is Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore. I'll include a link in the show notes. That's my pick for this week. Yeah, definite plus one there. I I think about that all the time. Having read that book, I, it comes up constantly in my mind. Like, mm -hmm. oh, the problem here is I'm just trying to sell the laggards. Mm -hmm. yep. So yeah, big one. Uh, I'm going. I've got a few picks. Uh, one is really topical. So we'll we'll drill into this more probably next week, um, depending on who's here. Uh, about this increasing, uh, kind of giving yourself a promotion outside the organization so that you're dealing with people farther up instead of farther down. And I did a, I did a free webinar on this a couple of weeks ago that's seemed to be really popular, um, really, really turned on the light bulb with a lot of people called the altitude of involvement. And in that I provide this altitude matrix, which is like uh, a, a graphic uh, that you can kind of map where you are in your current uh, life, you know, your business life, your work life, where you kind of, you, you'll be able to see examples like, Oh, there I am in that square right there. And if I wanted to move laterally, like we were talking about, I could go over here, I could go over there or I could go up. Uh, so anyway, uh, it's, I, if, if you're interested in this conversation, I promise that you will enjoy the webinar. Uh, also I am going to, uh, let people know again about the free email course I have called how to build your first productized service. Uh, that's, uh, I've got a, about 300 people just finished it and the reviews are in people love it. And it's, uh, it's a way that you can create something like, for example, a road mapping service. That's a little bit more advisory and a little bit less crafty, I guess, or a little bit less laborious. Uh, so that is a, a, a free resource for you. And that's at the comically long URL, <laughs> how to build your first productized service.com. <laughs> hey, you got through it without laughing. You usually yeah. start laughing at about three quarters of the way through that. <laughs> usually when I laugh early, it's because I'm stalling to try to remember what it is. <laughs> <laughs> how to build it. Cause I've said it a few times. I've said how to create, and that's not what it is. It's how to build your first productized service. Anyway, that'll do it for us this week. Thank you very much for listening, and we hope you join us again next week on The Freelancer Show. Bye. Bye.
Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.